us pray together. Father, thank you for fellow believers that encourage you with their gifts, whether it's preparing a wonderful meal to sit down and enjoy fellowship, or Father, to listen to those gifted in song and playing instruments that we can be moved in our souls. Father, I pray that tonight on this Tuesday evening that as I look at the order of service tonight, in just a few minutes, we're going to sing Just As I Am. And Lord, that's how we have to come to you, just as we are. But there should be a condition of our soul when we come before you. So help us tonight, Lord, to convey that as we teach and as we preach and as we share this beautiful story again of our Savior and Lord Jesus. So now, Father, hide your preacher behind the cross again. Turn us loose, let us preach, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. I join with our pastor tonight in saying thank you for coming back on a Tuesday evening. Uh, Joe, my bride, is in Athens right now with Zeke after track and field practice. He had baseball practice, and so she's taking care of the two-year-old in the Tahoe while Zeke's out there running and playing ball. So you pray for her as much as you're praying for me tonight, and many of you know exactly what I'm talking about. I want to take a few minutes of our time, and I want to look in the book of Philippians tonight, and I want to talk about at the name of Jesus. At the name of Jesus, it's found in Philippians chapter 2. It's only just a few verses, but in just a moment we're going to start reading in verse 5. One of my favorite Christian authors, great apologist, a brilliant man, C.S. Lewis, said, in the Christian story, God descends to reascend. He comes down, down from the heights of absolute being into time and space, down into humanity. But he goes down to come up again and bring the whole ruined world up with him. When I was listening to Scott sing a few moments ago, because I've been in ministry a little over 28 years now, I find myself in critique mode a lot. Not necessarily how a worship leader sings, which is beautifully, mind you, but their heart that's behind the song they sing. I think the Lord is calling us in 2017 to not only be salt and light to a world that is darkened and has lost its savor, but God is calling men and women, boys and girls, teenagers who will be humble. The Bible speaks to this, this atmosphere, this attitude, this how we live our lives in James chapter 4 and verse 6 where the Bible says, but he gives more grace. Therefore it says God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. He gives grace to the humble. Same chapter 4 verse 10, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Humility is a choice, just as Brother Scott shared a few moments ago that worship is a choice. It's something that we decide to do. I think humility is something that we decide to do. And all of us have come in contact with those people who love to pat themselves on the back and it's always all about them and the world revolves around them. And yet, in the midst of that, there's this ongoing battle that goes on in their lives because they know they love Jesus, 
but they love themselves just a little bit more. And that's why James, the half-brother of Jesus, says, humble yourselves before the Lord. He will exalt you. And then the Apostle Peter, who could write an entire book on humility, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. Where does James and Peter get this idea of humility? They get it from Jesus, from the Son of God, God in the flesh. That's where they get the understanding of what true humility is all about. So how does someone become humble? I think Paul gives us an answer, and we must focus on the Christ who humbled himself by becoming one of us. Can you imagine You're in the greatest place ever, heaven. You are the co-creator in the Trinity with God the Father and God the Spirit in the book of Genesis. And then you know it's part of the plan of God that one day you will become like those people. Your creation who faltered in the garden. And then subsequent sin was given to every baby that's ever been born since. And yet you will come and you will be birthed from a virgin but you will be without sin. Philippians chapter 2, the passage that we're going to talk about in just a moment, is about the doctrine of incarnation. The incarnation of our one Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So in Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 5, the Bible says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. If you're here tonight and you're not in church regularly, I I want you to know that when Pastor Sammy or one of us guys who is a pulpit preacher, when when we talk about Jesus, we're talking about someone who is fully God but also fully man. That while he was on this earth, he was as much a man as we are yet without sin, but also he was fully God. In fact, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 16 says, For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ. The word mind here in the Greek literally means to have intellect or understanding. So Paul is actually calling for us as believers to follow Jesus' example of humble self-denial, self-giving, self-sacrifice, and selfless love and obedient submission to the will of the Father. There are moments in my life that has nothing to do with me being a pastor or a husband or a father. And the Lord will lead me, says, in this situation, in this circumstance, I need you to be obediently submissive to my will. Now, I told you a little bit a night or two ago about my dad trying to find out about our genealogy. And you have to be careful when you look in your family tree sometimes. Sometimes it don't fork, amen? And you just have to be careful there. Well, because I'm a combination of the Carwile and the Riggs families, inside of my life is rebellion. Inside of my life is my way, and I want it done the way that I want it done when I want it done. And so over time, even in going to the ministry 28 years ago, the the Lord's had to humble me at times because I would not humble myself. He's allowed things to happen in me, And to me, in ministry and family-wise and financial-wise, to say, do I have your attention now, son? Because you've been running headlong, doing what you wanted to do, and you wouldn't listen to me, and you were not 
obediently submissive to my will, so now I'm going to get your attention. Again, C.S. Lewis, pain is God's megaphone. And sometimes we have to go through physical pain, spiritual pain, emotional pain, but it's still pain. And it's amazing, though, when pain comes, what are you saying, Lord? Sometimes we as adults act like our children, and the only time God can get our attention, like our kids, the only time we can get their attention is when we raise our voice. And we say, enough. You're going to listen to me. I will study in today. Tuesdays are my study day. I'm in my study upstairs. Joe and Danny are downstairs. And I hear Joe and Danny going at it. She's trying to plug something into a plug-in in the house. She has learned at two years of age how to pull out those little plastic things we put in there so she won't stick her finger in there. And so we're having to sort of follow her around the house, making sure, and Joe happened to catch her right before something was about to be put in there. So Joe yelled loudly. It got Danny's attention, and it scared her, and she responded by weeping. Does that sound familiar? Sometimes God has to get our attention through pain to humble us, and then we weep. But isn't it amazing what we learn when we focus our attention, even though we're weeping, on what the Father has to speak to us? And maybe you're here tonight, and you're going through something. Maybe nobody else knows about it, but just you and God. And you know what I'm saying is gospel, because it's happening to you right now. It could be a family situation, it could be one of your kids, it, it, it could be something at your job, or, or maybe something happening in your cul-de-sac or your subdivision, something's going on, you're going, oh, this is good, because this is what I'm going through right now. Look at verse 6. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. You see, Christ shares in the very essence of deity. He is one with the Father and the Spirit, and as one with them, he possesses and exercises all of these divine attributes. He was, by his very nature, fully and eternally God. But yet, he became fully man. The epitome of humility. The willingness to take off the garments of glory and put on a man's clothes. I, I don't understand that kind of love. I know how much I love my wife. I know how much I love my children. Both of my parents are still alive. My baby sister's still alive. I love my family. I love my church family. Well, at least most of them. Amen. I, I, I love people. I think it's a gifting that God's given me that, that somebody can be cursing me to my face and I can still tell them, but I love you. Now, I may want to bust them, but I tell them I love them. Amen. But yet we, we see Jesus leaving the perfection of glory to come and walk among us. But you know, he was there in the beginning. Notice on the screen with me, Colossians chapter 1, it says, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So the Bible's teaching us that Jesus exists eternally as God. But as we're reading in Philippians chapter 2, he did not consider equality with the Father something that he should strive for or seek to hold on since it was already rightfully his. 
Yet it is clear from the passage that Paul did not consider Jesus to be just a prophet or just a holy man. He's not like Buddha. He's not like Muhammad. There's something far greater. Paul believed, as I believed, and I believe it is sound doctrine, that Jesus Christ is God. And yet in becoming a man, Jesus did not in any way forfeit or diminish his absolute equality with God. The infinite became finite. The sinless one took upon sin upon himself. Because the very heart of the gospel is that the Father made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Again, I don't understand that kind of love because I know us. Every once in a while I'll hear a story about a colleague in ministry that I hadn't heard from in a while or hadn't seen in a while, and they'll say, oh, Joel, can you believe that? And I go, yeah, because we are a depraved people. We as human beings, all of us are one moment from stupid, amen? Any one of us, given the right circumstance at the right time, could do something that could cause an entire lifetime of regret. So what did Jesus do? He suffered the worst possible humiliation rather than demand the honor, the privilege, and the glory that was rightfully his. And that's an attitude of selflessness. And as I talked to us last night about being a watchman, about going and sharing the gospel and telling others about the Christ, that requires humility. That requires a selfless giving that should characterize all the things that belongs to our Savior. So what did Jesus do? Look at verse 7. But made himself nothing, taking the form of a bondservant, being born in the likeness of men. Some translations would say he made himself of no reputation, or he emptied himself. So if Christ, the Son of God, the God-man, emptied himself, what did he empty? He emptied himself completely of every trace of advantage and privilege, refusing to assert any divine right on his own behalf. But yet, he did not stop being omniscient, omnipresent, omnipotent, or immutable. He just chose not to exercise this full limit of those attributes. So when you and I read Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 5, and it says he emptied himself, he actually empties himself by adding something to himself, not by subtraction. Paul explains it by three phrases. The first phrase is he took the form of a bondservant in verse 7. Matthew chapter 20, verse 28 says, Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And if I want to be like Christ... When I walk into a room, I'm not waiting on people to serve me. I'm trying to find something to do to serve others. That's what a follower of Jesus does. It's not always trying to be in the best seat in the house. It's being willing to take the, the seat that's not so good, and then if you're asked to come to the banquet table, then good. But don't go to the banquet table first and then be asked to leave. And those of us who follow Jesus... Would we be willing to take upon ourselves this form of a bondservant? The, the words bondservant in Greek is doulos, which means they own nothing, not even the clothes on their back. Everything they have, including their life, belong to the master. 
Jesus Christ became a doulos. He was a bond slave. But yet relative to his glory, the King of kings and the Lord of lords willingly became the bond servant of bond servants. He said, I'm going to give you an example to follow. Listen to me, Mountain View Church. I've already experienced your love since Sunday night. You're, you're in the, going in the right direction. You're doing the right things. You're casting vision. Pastor took me on a little tour of the facility tonight. And, and man, this neighborhood needs Jesus. And this neighborhood has you to tell them about Jesus. There's a reason why you are here for such a time as this. And don't ever forget that. And our calling here in your church, as well as at First Baptist or Calvary or whatever church you may represent tonight, is that we would be a bondservant among the bondservant, the Lord Jesus Christ. You know what else a bondservant did? He carried other people's burdens. That's what we do. You're at the grocery store, minding your own business. You've already seen three people that you didn't want to see them, so you hid behind the ice cream. But then there you are, you find yourself at the end of an aisle, face to face with that person who always has a burden. But they know that you're a burden bearer. So they start sharing with you. And they give you something else to carry around. And part of you wants to rebel, but the other part knows I am a doulos. I'm supposed to help carry this. I am a burden bearer. But Joel, it's just not fair. It seems like us Christians, we're always the one at the back of the line. And your point, please. That's just who we are. That's where we're called. We're not supposed to be the front because the Bible says, and the last shall be first, and the first shall be last. I would rather be last here. So one day, praise God in heaven, we shall be first. And that's how this community will be one to Jesus. If we truly take upon this role of a doulos or a bond servant secondly the second phrase in verse 7 he was born in the likeness of men god made him by his miraculous conception and virgin birth but yet jesus was not a clone a disguised alien or merely some reasonable facsimile of a man he became exactly like other human beings having all the attributes of humanity a genuine man among men now this is what I have a problem with, is when we try to feminize Jesus. When we try to dumb him down. He was a man's man. And yet, he had the tenderness and the joy and the love of Almighty God. But that same man who turned over tables of the money changers. Now many of us would vacillate back and forth and say, well, am I this one or am I this one? Yes. We are to be both. And there are moments where we'll have to exhibit those qualities as even a do-loss. But also in the likeness of men. One of my favorite authors is Max Lucado. I'll never forget a few years ago, well it's been more than a few, when I was still in high school, a young lady who was Church of Christ gave me a Max Lucado book, God Came Near. I devoured that book. I still have the original copy that Lena gave to me. She is now a dentist around the Atlanta, Georgia area. When she's in town to visit her mom, guess what church she comes to? First Baptist Church of Athens, amen? And, and I keep telling her, I says, 
I'm going to get that church of Christ out of you one of these days, girl. I'm, you know, I'm going to get you right. And we cut up about it, and we have a good time about it. But my point is this. That book helped me to understand that there are people who aren't Baptist, who aren't Methodist, who aren't maybe who and like we are, but yet still believe in sound orthodoxy. And this is what Lucado said. He said he didn't call himself the Reverend Holiness Angelic Divinity of the Third. He didn't insist on plush royal robes or gleaming golden scepters. He didn't come on the wings of a heavenly host, live in a celestial palace, or march at the head of an angelic honor guard. He was the son of a carpenter in a remote section of an oppressed nation. He was God's greatest surprise, the heart of heaven wrapped in human flesh. Let me take us there for just a moment. You'll remember these words. God had entered the world as a baby. The mystery of the event still puzzles Joseph. As sleep comes, he remembers the name the angel told him to use, Jesus, Yeshua. We will call him Jesus. He looks like anything but a king. His face is wrinkled and red. His cry, though strong and healthy, is still the helpless and piercing cry of a baby. Holiness in the filth of sheep manure and sweat. Divinity entering the world on the floor of a stable through the womb of a teenager in the presence of a carpenter. You see, this baby had overlooked the universe. The omnipotent in one instant made himself breakable. He had been spirit, but now was pierceable. God as a fetus. Holiness sleeping in a womb. The creator of life being created. God was given eyebrows, elbows, two kidneys, and a spleen. He stretched against the walls and flowed in the amniotic fluids of his mother. God had come near. Can you hear Mary praying? Rest well, tiny hands. For though you belong to a king, you will touch no satin, own no gold. You will grasp no pen, guide no brush. No, your tiny hands are reserved for works more precious. To touch a leper's open wound. To wipe a widow's tear away. To claw the ground of Gethsemane. You see, your hands aren't destined to hold a scepter nor way from a palace balcony. They are reserved instead for a Roman spike that will staple them to a Roman cross. Sleep deeply, tiny eyes. Sleep while you can, for soon the blurriness will clear and you will see the mess that you and I have made of our world. You will see our nakedness, for we cannot hide. You will see our selfishness, for we cannot give. You will see our pain, for we cannot heal. God became a man, which leads us to thirdly and finally, he was found in fashion as a man, verse 8. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. We're about to enter the season of Easter. I began my Easter series this coming Sunday. I had an exciting day studying about where the Holy Spirit would want to take me to take our people at First Baptist. You see, Jesus was mocked. He was falsely accused. He was spat upon, beaten with fists, scourged, had part of his beard painfully plucked out. Yet Jesus was never defensive, never bitter, never demanding, never accusing. Jesus refused to assert his rights as God, even as a human being. Cato continues, how many times will we break you, Jesus? You will be torn by the thorns of our accusations. You will be ravaged by the cancer of our sin. You will be crushed under the weight of your own sorrow, and you'll be pierced by the spear of our rejection. 
Christ humbled himself under the Father's will. But it was no ordinary death, no. In the final feature of it is descent and degradation. It was the cruel and mocking death of the cross. There are many ways by which he could have been killed. He could have been beheaded, stoned, or even hanged. Crucifixion is the most cruel, excruciatingly painful, and shameful form of execution ever conceived. It was originally devised by the ancient Persians and later perfected by the Romans. Dying on a cross was reserved for doulos, for slaves. The lowest of criminals, enemies of the state, no Roman citizen could be crucified no matter how egregious their crime was. The truth that confounds my mind is that Jesus, who is fully God, who would humble himself to become a man, why would he do such a thing? Why did Jesus Christ leave the splendor and glory of heaven? Luke chapter 19, verse 10. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save joy. That's why he did it. To seek and to save the lost. Maybe you're here tonight, and like me, and like all of these other people seated in this room who are now born again, who are now saved based upon their repentance and belief in the gospel, maybe you're lost. I've shared the last 15 minutes or so to help you understand someone loved you enough to do what he did so that you and I could be saved. But I look in the mirror and I know me, and why would he love me that way? Why would he save me as an eight-year-old boy knowing what I would do for the next 40 years or so? Knowing because he's omniscient and because God is all-knowing. He knows my sin before I commit it. He knows what I say before I say it. He knows what I do before I do it, yet he still loves me. You see, being a Christian is not about me being without sin. Being a Christian is about learning what repentance is. That I've known that when I am convicted by the Holy Spirit, when I say something I shouldn't say or do something I shouldn't do, I carry it before the Lord. I tell our folks at First Baptist all the time, listen, I can't get away with anything. I even think something, the Holy Spirit goes, uh-uh. Don't go there. Don't think that. I'm going, are you kidding me, God? He goes, I'm not kidding. I'm so thankful that kind of relationship exists. And maybe you're here tonight and you're going, Joel, that's foreign to me. Well, maybe you're not saved. Because that's what the Holy Spirit does. He's not only the comforter, but he's also the convictor. We love him to comfort us, but we don't necessarily like it when he convicts us. Especially when we think we're getting away with something and we know that we're not, but we think we are. Oh, the reason why Jesus came was to seek and save those who were lost. Because as we all know, those of us who've been in church a long time, that death was not the end of our Savior. Three days later, he came up out of the grave. I don't know about you, I've, I've officiated my share of funerals in 28 years. And I've never gotten used to it. But the Christ, the perfect, sinless, dying for our sins, dead in tomb, yet on the third day, his grave clothes are left behind and the graveside is empty. I hadn't had the privilege to go to Israel yet, but all of my brothers and sisters that have that come back and tell me, Joel, it's empty. He's not there. Which leads us to our final three verses. 
Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I do believe that all Scripture is inspired, it's infallible, comes directly from the heart of God. But yet, we see similarities in the writings of the Apostle Paul to the writings of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 45, verse 23. By myself I have sworn from my mouth has gone out in righteousness a word that shall not return, and to me every knee shall bow and every tongue shall swear allegiance. I know that some of us don't want to think about this because we have our whole life in front of us, but the last day is coming. Revelation chapter 1 verse 8, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Alpha and Omega are the first and the last letters of the Greek alphabet. And yet long ago among the Jewish rabbis, it was common to use the first and last letters of the Hebrew alphabet to denote the whole of anything from the beginning to the end. Jesus as the beginning and the end of all things is a reference to the one true God. A last day is coming. Not only did God say it, but Jesus said it. Revelation 22 and 13. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Now there may be one of us or ten of us here tonight that may not know Jesus, but I want you to listen to these last few words. On the last day, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Here's the question. Will you confess that Jesus is Lord, or will you confess that Jesus is your Lord? Because the Bible says of things under the earth, do you know that demons are going to go, Jesus is Lord? Lucifer himself will say, Jesus is Lord. But there's a difference. By simply acknowledging that Jesus is Lord and saying and living that Jesus is my Lord. Now my prayer is every one of us in this house tonight can say, Jesus is my Lord. In fact, let's just say that together on the count of three. One, two, three. Jesus is my Lord. Now, some of us believe that. Some of us just said it because the preacher said to say it. And there's a difference. And tonight, friend, if you don't know Jesus as your Lord, you're in the right place. He has you here for a reason. There's a purpose and a plan that may be to your eyes right now because you see in the natural realm are unseen. Oh, but when you and I are born again, the shackles and the scales come off of our hands and out of our eyes, and we can now see. For some of us, for the very first time. Some will confess that Jesus is Lord and sovereign over their damnation. There's a place called hell. And if a person is under the sound of the gospel, they hear the good news of Jesus and they reject the gospel and they die without Christ, they go to hell. I didn't write it. You get mad at that, talk to God about it. It is the truth as sure as I'm standing here before you. I could give you testimony after testimony that has been written down and has been put into books about individuals who are on their so-called deathbed and they would have an image or a vision or they pass from life to death for just a moment and then they're resuscitated and then immediately they call out I need Jesus because I've seen the fires I have felt the heat 
I understand the burning. I need to know Jesus. Maybe tonight, some of us in this room, we've been flying very close to the flame, seeing if we could step over a line and not yet get caught. But listen to me, friend. It's not worth playing Russian roulette with your life. Tonight is the night to be saved. Today is the day of salvation. Do not harden your heart. I'll wait till Sunday. You're not guaranteed Sunday. When those tornadoes came rolling through North Alabama in 1974, when those tornadoes came rolling through here just a few years ago, let me tell you something. There were folks probably under conviction who had sat in this church building, who had sat on this property and on this campus, had sat over there at First Baptist Church or down at the Church of Christ or at the Congregational Methodist Church or wherever it may be, and saying, I'm going to wait till a more convenient time. I'm going to wait just a little while longer. You know what? I'm young right now. I'm going to wait till I'm a little bit older, maybe as old as Brother Sammy, then I'll get saved. Maybe I'm going to wait a little while because I need to sow some wild oats. i got a wild hair or two. And maybe never got the opportunity. Why? Because we waited too long. Friend, don't you keep waiting. Don't you wait yourself right into hell. There is a Lord Jesus Christ who came to be your doulos, who came to be your bond slave, who came as a human being yet without sin so he could take your sin to the cross of Calvary with him. And tonight you can be set free. Shackles fall into the ground. Would you allow that to happen in your life tonight? Others will confess his lordship with joy since he is their Lord and Savior. I'm unashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I made up my mind a long time ago. Making a fool out of myself is not a big deal. Whether you're in a sitting at the gym on the elliptical or on the treadmill or working out or whatever and somebody comes up and they ask you about your Jesus Freak t-shirt you got on and you begin to share the gospel with them and they laugh at you, they scorn at you, they persecute you, whatever. I'm all right with that. I've come to that place. It doesn't matter anymore. Are you there yet? Or do you still protect your reputation? Do you still want to keep airs about you and have something good said about you by the flesh and by the world rather than being recognized by glory. I'm reminded when Deacon Stephen was stoned. The Bible says that when Christ ascended in Acts chapter 1 that he sat at the right hand of the Father. But if you'll read very closely in Acts chapter 7, when, when, when Stephen was being stoned to death after he was called out as one of the seven men in the book of Acts chapter 6, full of the Spirit, men of good report, when, when Stephen preached, and, and they were stoning him to death as he was dying. It says that Jesus stood up. He stood. I have a sermon I call The Applause of Heaven. Would you and I be willing to live our lives that radical for Jesus? To say, Lord, it doesn't matter. My life is not my own. And any time that I've even given now is borrowed time. Because every one of us should be dead. Every one of us in this room, we should be gone. But yet, by the grace of God, we're still here. We're living and breathing and kicking, and we get an opportunity to sing about Jesus and preach about Jesus and live for Jesus. Oh, may revival fires come and consume us with that holy fire. Oh, like Jeremiah, to have a fire shut up in our bones. Maybe tonight, God's stirring something on the inside of you. Let it stir. Let's bow our heads together. You've heard 
Brother Scott shared with us each night this great old hymn with a great new chorus. Combining both that which we know is a traditional invitation song with a new word and a new song. And the Bible says every generation will have a new song. But I implore you tonight to come to Jesus just as you are. What are you waiting on? What are you waiting on? Tonight could be that very night that everything changes. So young man, young lady, mom, dad, grandparent, tonight is for you. And I pray that you see in the hearts of your brothers and sisters around you a spirit of doulos, a bondservant. Now, we're not perfect. We're going to make mistakes. We're going to let our tongue get in front of our brain sometime. We're going we're gonna to mess up. But boy, when we mess up, Holy Spirit not only convicts us, but he comforts us. And I'm so thankful for that. I'm going to pray over us, and we're going to stand, and we're going to sing together. And I'd invite you to come and lay across these steps. Make it your own personal altar. And say, Lord, let me be humble. I humble myself tonight before you, Lord Jesus. I want to be like you. You are my example. I want to follow. As a, as a daddy, as a husband, as a man or woman of God, I told you the testimony. My mother prayed for my daddy 25 years. She would wear the altar out both at Mount Pisgah Baptist Church and Shanghai Baptist Church, the two churches of my childhood. And after I got saved, I sort of understood what my mama was doing. So I joined her in prayer and praying for my daddy who eventually got saved. Maybe you got somebody close to your heart tonight and they're on their way to hell. I'd encourage you, come on tonight. Be unashamed of the gospel. Come and lay across these and, and cry out. And, and, and one more time, give their name to Jesus. One more time, cry out to God. Lord, you know. You know what's going on in my family. You know the tumult. You know the confusion. You, you know the chaos. God, I give you my family tonight. Let me tell you something, godly woman. Don't you give up praying for that old rascal of a husband. You keep on crying out to God on his behalf. I pray that you'll see the miraculous soon enough that you'll be able to worship Jesus Christ together in this place. So, Father, we're going to hush. And we're going to sing, and I pray, oh Lord, that you'll do what you said in your word you'll do. That you'll take the word that has been planted and the word that has been watered, and you'll be the Lord of the harvest. So we trust you tonight, Lord. And we give this invitation to you. And we ask this humbly, yes, humbly, in Jesus' name. Amen.